Welcome to the Mind Talks podcast. You are with myself, Nathan, and my co-host, Edwin. Our special guest is a track athlete in the discipline of the 110-meter hurdles. He represents the United States and is a four-time national champion in 2014, 2016, 2018, and 2019. He is a two-time Olympian, reaching the final of his event both times. He's also a world championship finalist, a feat he managed in Doha in 2019. A warm, warm welcome to Devon Allen. How are you, Devon? Welcome. Hey, I'm doing great, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I just got back in, into town where I'm training in Maryland. So just, you know, I went home for the holiday. So that was nice. So yeah, yeah. Yeah, we can yeah, we can start off with that. I know usually our regular guests know how we normally start, but yeah, we can start off with that. How yeah, how was your holidays? It was great. Yeah, it was great. I went I'm from Phoenix, Arizona originally, so went uh went back to Phoenix. It's a little bit warmer than it is in Maryland right now. We had a snowstorm yesterday. Oh wow. So so but it was like sixty degrees, seventy degrees in Phoenix, so it was a good time. Okay, okay, okay. So um, I want to take you all the way back. Um, what was your first living memory of a playing or watching a sport? Ooh, that's tough. I started playing, really one of my first sports was football. I played uh, like youth, actually youth tackle football when I was five years old. So I think that's, uh, that is the first memory I have. Um, playing and there's you know my dad was a coach one of you know uh, many of the coaches um and then from there uh I ended up playing quarterback and which was kind of you know interesting because I never you know I never thought I'd end up playing anything else than quarterback um and then yeah so that was my first sport and I started running track maybe about five years later when I was 10. And did you just love football or was there other sports that you were into? Um, I love football, but I did play just about everything. I played soccer, basketball, baseball, um, volleyball, pretty much up until I was in middle school, you know, so about 13, 14 years old. So I played, I played a lot of sports and football and track were the ones that I kind of gravitated towards, um, in the end. So I'm interested in talking more about baseball. Now, the reason being is because um, the sports that you mentioned, the majority of them have been discussed openly on our podcast. Um, baseball is something that hasn't necessarily been discussed. So can you just talk to us a little bit about the fundamentals of baseball, especially for our um, UK listeners? Yeah, baseball is an interesting sport because um, there's many positions that are related in the basic technical aspect of throwing catching but very different in the sense of um like job and skill set right like a catcher is much different than a pitcher yeah. a first baseman is much different than a third baseman or a shortstop an outfielder is going to be much different than any position and then everyone mostly especially at that age bats which is probably one of the hardest athletic things you can do um you know hitting a baseball so um, it's very it's very interesting. I, I think there's a lot of skill and and a lot of time that uh, the great baseball players take in in order to be good at it. Um, it's just like golf, right? You know, it's such a yeah. it's such a unique such a unique movement and skill to learn that it takes a long time to learn. And there's a few really really good ones that kind of stand out over everyone else. Okay, and then when it comes to the how you kind of more gravitated towards track and and football was it because those were the sports that you stood out at or was it the sports you liked the most um that's a good question actually i think i think your first uh statement is probably the, the most true the ones i was the best at were football and track and field um i was always the one of the fastest kids growing up so you know naturally i just gra gravitated towards track you know and people were always like oh man you should run track you should run track you should run track so one year I talked my dad and let me do it and you know the rest is history yeah so I think for me that was the, the thing that I saw the correlation between football and track was the speed so um when was your first memory uh, when you realized that you were faster than the average person Ooh, I was probably seven or eight years old um, I had just moved from Seattle, Washington to Phoenix, Arizona, where I currently live. 
and I joined the football team and it was a it's slightly different in youth sports. Um, sometimes they have an eight man football league where they take away two of the linemen and you have like one less wide receiver, right? To, to, to make up for the number of people. And the field's the same size and everything's the same about it. But, uh, you know, when I was playing running back in that league, I would get the ball and I would run literally back and forth on both sides of the field to score, right? I would start yeah. left. And then if there's, if I couldn't make it, I would like U-turn <laughs> and run backwards all the way around to the right. And I have a lot of like youth highlights where I was just literally out running everybody and scoring like four or five touchdowns a game. And <laughs> at that point I was like, yeah, I'm, I think I'm faster than everybody. <laughs> and and with, with that, with that pace at that age, what was the reason you moved to quarterback for a period of, um, of that time? Uh, I think that was kind of my dad's doing. My dad was one of the coaches and, you know, I had a decent arm, so I started that way. And then as I got older, probably like seven years old, eight years old, I went to running back and then I didn't play wide receiver, which is like the position I ended up at when I played in college um, until until high school. Um, but really just the opportunity to get the ball the most, right? The quarterback gets the ball every play and then running back gets the ball probably second most and then wide receiver gets the ball third most. So, you know, the coaches try to try to make it to where I get the ball a lot. So that's kind of where I ended up there. Yeah. So I'm, I'm intrigued about your smooth period as a quarterback. So for me, watching a quarterback and looking at some of the greats, um, your, you know, your Tom Brady's, your, Be your Brett Favre's, the, the way that they um, play the game is, it's just completely different. So it's, it's for me, it's more, I see it for, I look at it from the mind perspective. So it's not always about the accuracy. It's about playing under pressure. So for you, I know um, in those early stages, it was just really about fun. But what were some of the fundamentals that you learned specifically um, playing uh, as a quarterback? I think for the most part, it's exactly that. I actually would say I was probably below average in, in throwing the ball in general, right? Like the basic job of a quarterback, but above average and knowing what everybody on the offense is supposed to do, you know, knowing every play, every play call, kind of understanding the basic like um, strategies in football, like down a distance, you know, what play call should be called here, being able to start to learn how to read defenses at a, at a young age and kind of understand what everybody's doing. So that's yeah. really why I probably started there mm -hmm. um, initially. And, and like you said, Tom Brady and, and some of the greats, those those guys are good, you know, accurate throwers. They have good arms, but what stamp you know makes them stand out is that mental part, understanding you know everything that's going on in the field, and then also being like a chess grandmaster and being able to put it all together, you know, two or three plays down the line. Right? They're calling this play, you know, this play is called in order to set up a play in in six plays. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, um, that's the thing that's cool about football too is, and there's a lot of coaches and they get paid really well for it but there's a lot of strategy that takes place um, into it. One thing I noticed in a lot of like TV shows that I watch where it's got American football in it, is that everybody wants to be the quarterback. Everyone's parents want them to be the quarterback. How mm -hmm. is it in reality? Is it like that? And then how is it like with your teammates as well when it comes to that? That's interesting. I think, you know, now that I'm 27 and haven't played for a few years, um, I would have liked to be quarterback, you know, I w that would have been cool to play college football and being starting quarterback, but realistically, there's just not that many people that are talented enough to do it. Um, it is a difficult position. Like the number one criteria is being able to throw and throw accurately. So, you know, out of 20, you know, 20, 30 guys that might play offense on your high school football team, maybe like two or three can do it well. And then you kind of move up, you know, you know, move them up and down based on athleticism and then their ability to understand the playbook and then, you know, just their leadership qualities and stuff like that. Um, but I, I would say as a parent, you know, when I have kids eventually and hopefully I have a son, you know, I'm going to push him to be a quarterback. <laughs> <sure>. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Of course, of course. Uh, so my next question is, so I, knowing a little bit of your journey, so I can envision 
what potentially your transition was from being a quarterback going on to running back and wide receiver. So there may have been a couple of games where you were quarterback. Um, there was nobody to throw to. There was no wide receivers. There's no running backs. So you decided, all right, let me just go for a run myself. You've gone past one or two players. And then maybe some of your coaches have seen that and maybe have whispered in your ear, actually, do you know what? You might be good in another position. How accurate am I? Am I completely off it? Yeah, 100% accurate. All right. <laughs> that's, exactly, that's exactly what happened. I, you know, I started out there and then I started just, instead of throwing the ball, I started running the ball and they were like, okay, well, let's get this guy in a better position. And then, you know, like the, the transition from running back to wide receiver was just as similar. You know, yeah. there, was, there was not a lot of kids that could catch the ball. And, you know, when I was running out there and catching the ball, they're like, oh, he does pretty well at that too. Let's try him there. Yeah. So, it worked out. Yeah. It worked out. <laughs> How was your relationship with your dad? With your dad being your coach, that's not a dynamic that a lot of people go through. So yeah, yeah how was it like for you at the time? It's interesting because, you know, now that I'm older, I'm really grateful for it. And I'm sure like when I was, you know, that age, five, six, seven, eight, it's probably annoying. You know, my dad literally watching every single thing I do every day and then critiquing it as well. That's the coach's job. Um, but it made, it made out for me being a, a great elite athlete. Um, and I know a lot of parents are, are that way too. And I know a lot of coach, you know, coach parent dynamics as well. Um, and I think my dad handled it really well because sometimes, you know, parents and coaches don't, uh, you know, don't handle it as well with their kids playing in a sport because, you know, they can kind of be too overwhelming or too underwhelming, right? Like, you know, they, they could be really like, oh, my kid's the best. He's going to, he's going to be the quarterback. He's going to be the starting point guard. You know, he's going to be the pitcher on every team that I'm coaching, which yeah. is okay if the kid's good enough to do that. But if he's not, then you're kind of, you know, hurting the rest of the team and hurting the rest of the experiences for everybody else. Um, and the other parents can see it, right? It's just like, you know, we're all human. We all see what's going on usually like, oh, this kid's not very good or this kid's yeah. great. He deserves to be there. Um, but yeah, so my dynamic with my dad was was great. And my dad, I think, did a great job handling the fact that, you know, when we came home, it kind of switched from coach to dad, right? Like in the car ride there, we were talking to sports in the car ride back, we might be, but when we step through the threshold of the door, it's pretty much, okay, we're, we're, we're done talking about sports for the day, you know? Mm. So it wasn't my whole life. It wasn't, you know, everything I was, every breathing moment, which is good for my mental sake as a, as a developing kid, for sure. Yeah. What were some of the early mindset hacks that your dad taught you and instilled in you? My biggest thing was um, confidence in myself as, as a player and as an athlete. Um, he really believed that, you know, I could make any play or do, any, you know, accomplish any feat and, and, and kind of rise to the occasion. He always he used to tell me a thing, big time players make big time plays. And, you know, that was pretty much saying like, hey, whenever the game's on the line or we need a first down or something to happen, you know, Devin, you need to be, you know, ready mentally to yeah. take on that, take on that task and, and accomplish that, you know, whether it be, you know, a first down or a touchdown or the Olympic final. Right. So to, 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 to sum it up, my dad just did a good job at like giving me the confidence that, Hey, everything you're doing in practice and everything we've done since you're a young age has prepared you for the moments that have come. So that, that's, a, that's, that's a great good. thing that you just mentioned, because there is there is some incidents when there is you've got the parents and the athlete dynamic where the athlete might not be able to achieve what they're supposed to achieve. And the parents keep on like drumming in their ear and let's say they get to a certain level and they don't make it to elite. They mm -hmm. feel like they've failed their parents. So it's the way that your dad spoke to you. It shows you how important that is. Yeah, for sure. And and just like you said, the, the dynamic, um, you know, just being the realistic, right? Not every athlete's going to be a star, right? Mm -hmm. And as a parent, and you know, when I'm a parent, I hope my kid's a star as well. But, you know, you have to instill, at least you have to give your best effort to understand that that may not happen. And that's, that's okay. You know, like, hey, mm -hmm. I'm doing, you're doing everything you can as, as a parent. And also the athlete, you know, your, your, your son or daughter is, is doing everything they can training wise and, you know, their best is enough to some extent, you know. How, how did your teammates treat you being a coach's son? 
You know, I, I didn't have a lot of negative experiences. Um, you know, I still have a lot of friends from this day that I played youth sports with that I still talk yeah. to every every day or every week. Um, you know, but I don't know, you know, you know how it is. Like sometimes you're just like, oh, I don't like that guy and you just ignore him. Right. So <laughs> maybe maybe that was maybe that was the case. Um uh-huh. but yeah, I think my dad, um, you know, and and my friends that I still talk to now, they they're like, man, you, you, your dad, Lou, is, is the best, you know. Uh, you know, how's that guy doing? How's he doing? Tell him I said hi. So, you know, he did a good job at just being friendly and kind overall to everyone, which is important, too. You know, he wasn't that, like, you know, the crazy, crazy on the sideline coach, you know, going going mad every play. You know, he got like that sometimes, but it wasn't always like that. <laughs> so playing football in college, at that point, did you know that, track was going to become the main thing or did you think football was where you were going to go you know what when i when i was there i i thought football was the way it was going to go um especially with how the my first college football season went um yeah. ended up playing really well and we went to the national championship you know my quarterback marcus mariota won the heisman you know not not saying that you know i, I have a part to play in that but like a small part but still, like, you know, I, I was really confident in my ability at the time. Um, and then, you know, the track thing just kind of took off. And, you know, when you're one of the, the best of, you know, 8 billion people, you know, at one specific thing, it's pretty like that sometimes that's that's your that's your calling. Um, mm. And th- that doesn't mean I'm not going to ever try to play football again. But um, right now, I think, you know, the the hurdle thing for me is, is something I really enjoy and uh, I'm doing well at it. Um, and you know, it's, it's, for me, it's cool that I can see like all the hard work kind of come to fruition and, and being, you know, a top ranked hurdler or making the Olympic final again, or being ranked number one in the world, you know, for 2021, which is pretty cool. Okay. So my next question is inspired from training with Edwin, actually, he doesn't even know I'm going to mention this. So I used to play a lot of soccer. Um, for for a long, long, long time, probably from when I was 13 up until I was probably about 25, 26. And then, obviously, I'm in my 30s now, but I think maybe two years ago, maybe a year and a half, two years ago, Edwin brought me to start training with him on track. And one of the things that I saw very, very quickly was not only Edwin was faster than me, but when he was uh, going past me, um, I saw the ease of his, the ease of the way he was running, whereas I was making, I guess, making more of an effort running where it looked more um, an ease for him. So my question, and, and I think a lot of that comes from the fact that I played a lot of soccer, so I didn't really teach you about running technique. It was just, if you were fast, you were fast. So my question to you is, what kind of bad habits did you have to unlearn from being you know, a football athlete, but then um, got moving and transitioning onto track? You know, that's a good question. I don't remember any bad habits. Um, not that I'm perfect. <laughs> I think I, I think an important thing, especially I would say in ninety nine percent of sports, is being able to sprint and being fast, right? Um, and I started running track when I was ten years old, so yeah, I learned early kind of a lot of te- the technique stuff, yeah, and just how to run early on, and that helped me throughout every sport I've ever played since then. And and yeah. I still, I'm you know obviously I'm a pro track athlete now, and so the stuff that I learned it when I was 10 is, has kind of gotten me to where I am now. Right. Cause now I don't even have to think about it. You know, I'm sure, I'm sure for you, you could learn how to, you know, improve your technique and stuff. But if you did that 20 years ago, who would have known, who, who would have known that maybe that you're not, you know, in the premier leagues somewhere. Yeah. 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 I mean, I don't know. I, it's hard. Not, yeah. That's true. Because you stop, you stop thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, like I have not trained professionally for years, but, I, when I do train with people, the one thing they notice is the technique, and I, it's just something that comes with time. And I'm guessing that's something that happens happened with you. Oh, for sure. And I've improved. I mean, with every with every coach I've had and every elite coach I've had, right from club track to middle school to high school to you know college, and now my college coach is my professional coach. You know, I've improved at every level. You know, technically, although I was fast at every level as well, but I've you know I've gotten faster and more technical more technically clean 
and more precise and everything looks easier. Like if you watch a video of me running, right? Like you said, it doesn't look like I'm like gritting super hard, but I'm running fast. So Devin, why, why hurdles? Why not just a hundred meter or 200 meter flat? What was it about hurdles? You know what? I, I was a hundred and 200 meter runner um, up until I was in a junior in high school. So I was 16, 17. And I was actually a good one. Um, I ran, I ran 1040, 1049, and 2075 in high school. So I was, I was, I was, I wasn't, yeah, wow. I wasn't the lead sprinter. Um, wow. So yeah, so I wouldn't say why hurdles. It was my coach was like, "Hey, you're already one of the best sprinters in the country. I think, I think you could be a good hurdler. Let's try it." And I tried it, and then probably within two, three months, I was one of the best in the country of doing that. So we were like, all right, this, is, this might be the, this might be the thing. So, you know, that's just kind of how it works is a lot of athletes and Ed, you might know this cause you ran track, you know, you might be an 800 meter runner, but maybe you're, maybe your events of 5k, right? Like you might be a good 800 meter guy. You might run 154, 152, but maybe you're a 5k guy, right? Or, or vice versa. You run the hundred, you're a 1080 guy but maybe you're a 45 second, 400 meter runner. Yeah. And, and you just don't know it. So, you know, my coach in high school, Tim, uh, Tim O'Neill, he was like, Hey, you know, the Arizona state is pretty weak in the hurdles. Let's, let's give it a try. And within like two months of practice, I was number two in the state. And then the next year, my first meet, I broke the state record. So, you know, it was wow. quick, <laughs> but so, I, I like to so sprint. When, but when, when you decided to, to obviously go with the hurdles when it comes to being professional um did you ever think maybe i'll do two in one or was it like no i'm gonna concentrate on hurdles um it's a good question so i still train like I, i'm gonna run 100 or 200 eventually although i don't do as much technical like block work and i don't race as much um because you know the 110s as a professional is how I make money, right? Like I, that's how I go to the meets. Yeah, exactly. That's how I make a living. But, you know, eventually my goal is to, is to be, you know, an under 10 second, hundred meter sprinter, under 20 second, 200 meter sprinter. Um, so maybe, maybe as I get more and more elite into the hurdles, right? If I start talking about a lot of 12 nines, maybe break the world record, maybe I can kind of transition into having a little more fun with the events that I do pick and choose. Um, because I do like doing all that stuff and it's fun to compete against, you know, the really elite guys. And in the U S especially we have like probably 20 guys that run under 10 seconds. Right. So very, very competitive. Yeah. So um, I've got a big smile on my face because one of the things that I think stood out is just what you just mentioned about your, your aims for the hundred and 200. And I just find it, fascinating and i think the first thing that came to my mind is that you've got an elite mindset because you are a an elite athlete in your sport already in your discipline already but equally you're looking already at another another um you know feel uh, sorry another event in 100 and 200 meters and you are also aiming for very very big feats so i guess my next question to you is where did you learn to, I guess, have a growth mindset? Where did you learn to aim so high? Um, where I think that kind of goes back to just every sport I've, I've played, you know, being competitive for one, you know, trying to win. Okay. So that's just mm -hmm. the basics of, you know, playing basketball and trying to score more points than the other team. When you get into a more individual sport, it becomes a little bit away from, you understand like as you get older and I started learning this in college, it's not so much the outcome at the meet that's going to like, it's important, but the, what you do in training, what you do in practice, how you prepare for a meet is almost yeah. equally as important for the mindset in the sense that you can't fake it on the track. Mm. Right. I, I've had years and I, and this is the thing I'm going to, I'm at the peak of my athletic prowess, right. From like 25 to 30 is, where most men are just, you know, most, you know, athletic. Yeah. So right now I know physically that I'm going to be, you know, one of the, the fastest, if not the fastest I'm going to be. 
And two, I have done the training and have seen the, the checkpoints in training and practice. I'm lifting the weights. I'm stronger than I've been, ever been. You know, I'm faster than I've ever been in training. So it gives me the confidence that I know I can do it on the track. Maybe it takes me a few races to do it, you know, but I know it's there. Just, just like I said, like I know physically I can run under 10. I can run under 20. I have the talent and the speed to do it. I just got to figure it out. Same thing with the hurdles. You know, that 1280 is there. I just got to, I just got to put it together. It's not easy. If it was easy, everybody would do it. Right. So for that, that's the confidence thing is really important and you can't fake it. You know, outside of training, I've had years where I've been kind of hurt and injured and, you know, I go into the meet and I've had some meets where I'm like, oh man, I just don't got it. And like, that's a horrible, that's a bad mindset. And obviously that's not where I'm trying to be you know, as an athlete, but it does creep into your head. You can't fake it. There's like, you know, there's no doubt. There's no shortcuts to lining up saying, Hey, I'm prepared, ready to run fast. As opposed to like, ah, oh, I don't really feel that good. This, this, this training block didn't go well. You know, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm like two tenths off, you know, what I should be in order to run 13. like, you know, so that mindset definitely creeps in a lot of times. And that's what I'm learning as an elite athlete, trying to like, you know, kind of like, trick myself into always being prepared, always being confident in my ability, even though I might not be there, you know, physically, yeah, I'll get there. I think that's, I think that's the same for all the best athletes. They have that, that type of mindset because you're not going to go into a race thinking, oh no, look at all of these people, I'm going to lose and win the race. No. It's not going to happen like that. <laughs> you have to always go in believing that you are going to win. Even if there's someone who's run a faster time, you have to have that mindset. And I guess all the elite athletes have that. Yeah, and I've always, you know, my my most like, kind of like surprising national championship win when I when I when I, when I was nineteen in twenty fourteen, um, winning NCAA's and then also winning USA's two weeks later, kind of coming from no nowhere, <laughs> um, you know, as a freshman in college, and people ask me like, oh, like you know, this guy just came from nowhere, randomly won. Yeah, I came from nowhere on paper, but mentally I was already there, right? Like I, I knew like. When I was on the line, I was gonna I was gonna win the race. You know, maybe I just hadn't run, you know, a tenth or as fast as everybody else, you know, had run already. But I knew my build up coming into it, how I felt in training the last three months and everything like that, that I was ready to to run fast. And then that if I'm on the line, feeling healthy, I'm gonna I'm gonna win. And like you said, so that's just kind of the thing that most, if you ask any elite athlete, they're gonna be like, hey, I'm here, I'm gonna win. One of the things I've often heard is that winning your first title is the most difficult. And would you say that was the same for you? Um, yeah, as of now, 100%. Yeah. I think, you know, not that my competition has gotten any slower. It actually has gotten faster um, with yeah. you know, some of the younger guys, uh, Grant Holloway and Daniel Ro- Roberts and then some of the kids in college that are coming up as well. And that's how it's always going to be, right? I was a kid in college at one point. Yeah. Um, but yeah, my first title, like, like I said, you know, David Oliver, Jason Richardson, those guys that have won Olympic medals, world champ, world championships have run 1280, you know, and run 1290 and all that stuff. Um, definitely my, one of my favorite wins just because, you know, the field was so strong and, you know, I wasn't expected to win. And then once I did that, every U S championship I've shown mm-hmm. up to, you know, I expected to win. Yeah. You know, and I'm still that way. I mean, I don't, I don't think I actually haven't placed worse than third in the U.S. championship ever. You know, in 2017, I came off of a, of a foot injury, um, like, you know, four weeks actually before USA. So, you know, luckily I made the team. Um, and then last year in 2020, uh, 2021, obviously, I mean, the Olympic trials is one of the most uh, like nerve wracking events you can be in and, you know, ran a, a quick race and got second and uh you know made the team again so it's good how did it feel around the olympic trials because when we watch the the u.s trials on on the tv here we see how how it's basically like the olympics to qualify for the olympics so how was that experience for you and then how was that experience being at the olympics where there was no crowd Mm -hmm. you know the big thing i started to realize about these uh world trial like world champ like world qualifiers and Olympic qualifiers. So like the U S uh, championships that qualify you for mm-hmm. the, the U S team. Cause that's the ultimate goal. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, 
there's a lot of pressure and stress on on all the athletes, right? Because there's only 32 that make the that make the meet, right? And then you know you kind of dwindle down, you know, 32 to 16 to eight. Um, one thing I heard, and I hope one day that I talk to Alan Johnson about this, but um, Alan Johnson was you know a very 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 elite hurdler, probably one of yeah. the best in history. Um, you know, two-time uh, Olympic or three-time Olympic Olympian, Olympic gold medalist, you know, world champs a whole bunch of times. And I heard that somebody told he was nervous about Olympic trials. And somebody t- asked him like, hey, Alan, when was the last time you got fourth in anything? Fourth place in any race. And he was like, you know what? You're right. Because, right, to make the team, you got to be top three. So a lot of times that mindset, you know, obviously I want to win. I'm going there to compete to win, but I'm not putting so much pressure on myself that I'm going to fall apart because top three make the team, you know, and that's the ultimate goal. And sometimes, you know, that's it's the qualifier. So yeah, I want to win every race. I, I would love to win the Olympic trials and every, every event I compete in, but to qualify is most important. So it kind of takes, you know, knocks a little bit of pressure off because, Hey, third is first is what I say at those meets because, you know, you make the team, that's your ultimate goal. And then now your goal is to win world champs or win the Olympics. So I am intrigued about that thought process because um, our last guest, Chris Bernard, triple jumper, he spoke about almost having to be in peak condition at the US trials. And then a few weeks later, when you go into the Olympics, you're going to, you also have to be in peak condition. And now you mentioned, yeah, you just have to be in the top three. It kind of throws me off because yes, you have to be in the top three, but let's put, let's have it right here. The US trials is an Olympic final. You being anything less than 90, 95%, you ain't finishing in the top five, let alone the top three. So I'm really, really intrigued how you can have a mindset where you know the top three is okay but equally push yourself where you know you won't miss out because you know you watch you watch sometimes because i've i've seen olympics where people of sprinters have slowed down so much they've ended up not qualifying for the next round and, and, and it's almost like how do you have that mindset where how do you find that balance in that mindset where top three is fine but equally you need to push yourself you need to push yourself to an extent where you don't relax too much like how have you found that balance what methods have you used um i think let me let me let me quickly clarify the yeah. top three, the top three thing isn't so much that you have to back off. To, you get, you know, you're backing yeah. off. It's not you only need to be top three. Yeah. For me, the mindset is, hey, I'm in the, you know, I'm here. I know I'm good enough, right? I'm in the race. I can win. I'm talented enough to win. I should win. But if something goes wrong, don't panic. That's the mindset, really, right? Like, hey, don't tighten up. Don't do, especially in the hurdles, right? Yeah. If you hit a hurdle. Yeah crazy you, you're at you might you get last yeah yeah um so so that's that so that's the the mindset i want to clarify it's okay. not it's yeah, not, yeah it's not necessarily top three is okay yeah it yeah. is that something goes wrong you know if you feel 95 percent today maybe that's okay like yeah yes yeah. you know you, your your goal is still past here but yeah. like you said like chris and i'm good friends with chris um it is the, one of the hardest meets in the in the in the world um you know, it's probably a second to, to the world champs or the Olympic games and some athletes, right? Like realistically, you know, let's just say the hurdles, if your PB is 1330, unless you run a PB, you're not going to make the team. Yeah. And that's just, and that's the same thing in the hundred, right? Like yep. you watch the Olympic trials for the U S and the hundred, if you didn't run nine, eight, you don't have a chance. And even nine, eight didn't make, you didn't make the hundred, you made the full one. But 989 didn't even make the 100 going into... And 989, what? 980 won the Olympics? Yeah. So so you get what I'm saying? So yeah, it's, yeah. It's, so, it's so competitive. Obviously, you got to be ready to go, like yeah. locked, laser focus. But to some extent, you can't... You don't want to stress so much because of the stage that yeah. you fall apart. And sometimes you see, you know, sometimes athletes 
don't perform as well or don't perform, you know, just well in general, um, you know, depending on what, whatever meet it is, what's going on, maybe, you know, small, you know, small nagging injuries, you have, you have to run rounds and all that stuff as well. So um, it definitely is the mental part of it's tough. It's, it was super hot this last year in, in Oregon. It was like 100 degrees yeah. um, every day as well. So that could play a part into like, especially distance athletes trying to run fast. Like that's a nightmare. Um, but yeah, it's very, it's very so competitive. There's a lot of stress around it. Obviously there's a lot of impl- implications on how people make a living, right? Like if you make the Olympic team versus you don't make the Olympic team, that could change the next three years of your earning ability. Wow. Right. So, and that's yeah. just the, the real, you know, the name of the game with our sport right now, which, which kind of sucks, but that's just how it goes. Yeah, you're kind of touching it on earning ability because we, we've spoken to, to a few athletes and the pressure in terms of just qualifying because you want to qualify and you want to you want to win Olympics, want to win the Worlds. But then also, if you don't qualify, the implications that could have in terms of sponsorship, in terms of <laughs> how much you're going to get paid. Um, and then even ra- races, if you don't run a certain amount of races, then you're not going to get paid a certain amount. How how do you deal with that pressure mentally? You know what I think, and I've I've evolved in the last five years as as a professional. Um, initially, I put too much stress on it, mm. right? Like you know, I go from a, a you know broke college kid to now making making a living and earning good money running track. Yeah, and I was you know I was not stressing about the money, but I was yeah I wouldn't say in golf, but I was. I was concentrated too much on the earning of capabilities rather than focusing on my training, having fun, and then the rest would follow. Right. And then it, it actually, you know, until this year, you know, going into a new Olympic cycle, you know, getting new contracts and stuff like that, um, where I was like, you know what, I'm not going to even worry about it. You know, if I make it, if I don't make any money, whatever, my goal is to, you know, get healthy, make the Olympic team, win the Olympics, you know, and have fun. And this year is my best year um, ever, right? You know, I broke into, I broke into the twelves this year. I, I was I ended up world number one ranked hurdler in the world. And you know, this was a year that I kind of just forgot. I didn't make as much money, you know, that I was in the year in the years past. But you know, sometimes it's it's important to make a living, but it's not important in the scheme of being having that elite athlete mindset because that's not going to change. The mindset's not going to change whether you're earning $20 million or $20. So I'm just going to make a an assumption and then probably an, an ignorant assumption. So when I think of elite athletes like yourself who are sponsored, um, I always I try and um, my assumption would be in the early stages of, you know, sponsorship there is a lot of pressure so you have your your media obligations but then there is even some of your everyday pressures where maybe the athletes thinking should i even go to this place um is it really that bad where you're even thinking about you know um should you be seen here or is that just um you know an outside ignorance um like seen here as in like going out partying and stuff like that yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, no, I think I think you're right in making that assumption. Um, obviously there's a time and place for all of that. Um, you know, it wouldn't look very good if, you know, I'm posting stories of me in Las Vegas at a club two weeks before the Olympics and then I don't make it out of the first round. Right? Yeah. Okay. But, but 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 vice versa. I've seen where people, you know, when I was in college, and that's more of a thing in college, anyways, is you know, athletes going out and doing whatever, and two weeks later winning a national championship. So you know, and that's and not saying going out or you know having fun is good or bad. It's all, obviously everything's in moderation is okay, um, but there is a lot more pressure as a professional to take it more seriously. Um, you know, I would say as a professional now, I take it more seriously. Yeah. You know, like training wise, nutrition, sleep, diet, you know, taking care of my body in general um, that I did in college. College, I just kind of showed up and it was good enough. It's the thing, the older we get, the, the more we have to watch it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, I agree. Yeah. So uh, when, it, when it comes to that uh, nutrition, 
how much do you think your nutrition has changed over the the past few years and do you see the massive difference it's had on your performance um my nutrition has evolved over the last like five or six years um you know when i got to college it was pretty much just very very basic in the sense of not eating super bad but not eating really healthy either um and then the nutritionist at U of O kind of helped shape my my habits um and then i had some nutrition help from um Brianne Eaton, who's a, you know, a heptathlete, Ashton Eaton's wife, and she mm-hmm. is doing some nutrition coaching and, and some help overall, because those two athletes, Ashton and Brianne are very, you know, very elite in their own sense, you know, Olympic and world medalists. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I got some advice from them, you know, when I was young, about like, you know, nutrition and dieting and stuff like that. And the mindset of, you know, you're going to drive yourself crazy if you try to diet, you know, the whole season. Right. You can only do it in like a four, like four or six week block, you know, where you're really like trying to like cut up and be like race weight, you know, and, and, and peak competition weight for like four weeks to six weeks. Because if you do it for longer than that, you're going to start getting hurt. You know, injuries are going to happen. You're going to start feeling like cranky and irritable and stuff like that. Um, and then overall, just my habits in general, have gotten better because as you get older, you understand the importance of nutrition and how it affects not just like how you feel and your weight, but also like how you sleep, which is most important for recovery and stuff like that. I just noticed, you know, when I eat well, you know, I feel, I feel better going to bed. I'm not as hungry. I wake up in the morning. I have like, you know, normal bowel movements and all that stuff throughout the day. It's the same, same thing every day. Like my, my uh, routine is so similar that my training goes really well. So it like really, is a positive impact on how I train and how I feel, which is most important. Well, do you say that the the average Joe who's trying to get themselves fit should adopt something similar to yourself where they should work in maybe um, periods of, you know, hardcore, maybe for, you know, three to four weeks and then just um, lay off uh, for maybe a week or so? Um, It really depends on their type of lifestyle because I would say if you look at my normal day of eating anyways you'd be like oh this guy's you know already on a diet in in the the sense of everything that i eat is already like very nutritious yeah right i eat the same thing pretty much every day um although it's a large breakfast meal it's a lot of you know protein eggs spinach potatoes you know some kind of chicken chicken sausage turkey bacon whatever meat source a lot of fruit uh, a lot of water. And then for lunch, I'll have like some turkey, chicken, you know, veggies and some carbohydrates. And then for dinner, it's just pretty similar fish, you know, red meat, whatever. Very similar to where you're like, oh, this guy's super locked in in the sense that like my daily habits are pretty healthy in general anyways. Although, I, you know, last night I had like some mint chocolate chip ice cream and stuff like that. <laughs> not, not that not that big a deal. Yeah, of course. But I, but I think the overall, like the big picture nutrition wise is going to be super important that you have um, a good like base, right? Like a good base. And then four weeks, I really lock it in to where I'm like cutting out all refined sugar, refined carbohydrates, and really trying to get like feeling, feeling good, getting light, you know, cutting out all the fat and stuff like that. But you know, four, yeah, four to six weeks is, is hard anyways. Like four weeks is a long time too, but yeah, I would say maybe not for the the normal person. They can just you know evolve into a better lifestyle. Okay. Yeah. How do you mentally deal with injuries? That's a good question because I've had quite a few um, in my career. It's some major ones. Um, I've had I had two ACL reconstructions. Um, one in tw- one in twenty fifteen. One in twenty sixteen. Um, and then I had some other work done, like to clean up my knee, clean up my hip, um, in the last few years as well. And I think the biggest thing, my first major surgery was, is super difficult, but I, I had, um, a great athletic training staff at U of O, um, and a lot of physical therapists, you know, outside of that, that helped me, you know, get back. Um, but it did take a long time mentally. It took me about a year and a half to, to start to feel normal. And then once I did that, I had the confidence to like, okay, I've done it. I ended up getting hurt again. I was like, well, I've done it already. I got back. I made the Olympic team. I won the Olympic trials. 
you know, I can do it. So now I just have to do the same thing over again. And I, and I had the formula. So initially it was hard, but I think there's so many success stories, you know, for the, for the normal person, you know, somebody that has a knee, you know, ACL reconstruction, like a lot of kids reach, reach out to me say, Hey, I just tore my ACL. Like I'm pretty sad, which is okay. Like, you know, that's a stage of, you know, coping is having grief and being sad about it. Um, but just know, right. There's like plenty of athletes that are on the highest level of the game that have done the same thing and they're fine. Right. And yeah, I'm fine. You know, Tom Brady's had ACL. He's fine. Like, you know, there's a lot of success stories. So not to stress too much and to have a positive outlook on, you know, being able to recover. Again. So one thing I've picked up again, again, it's about you and your your elite mindset so you one of your acl reconstructions was in 2016 but in 2016 you was you got to the final um in rio so having a reconstruction but yet getting to an olympic final in the same year says a lot about you and your mindset so can you just talk to us a little bit about how you rebuilt that confidence um yeah i think really the biggest thing is is having the the assumption that you're going to be fine. Um, and that's tough, especially early on, like the first three months when you can't do anything. You're not even, you know, you're on crutches for the first five weeks because um, I had my meniscus repaired. And then, you know, the next like eight weeks, I'm doing not much, you know, because I can't run yet. I'm just relearning how to walk and stuff like that. And then once you get get to the, to the, the gist of everything, you start feeling better. And then, you know, you just got to have that confidence that, um, you still have the ability to, to be an elite level athlete. And I think, yeah. you know, that there's a big, uh, I really attribute that to the athletic training staff. Um, one of the main athletic trainers, Stephanie, that worked with me, she was very persistent on my first ACL reconstruction. And what I mean by that is she would, she would be up texting me at 6am like, Hey, you know, come in today you know, maybe on my day off. Right. So Hey, come in today. And maybe we don't do a lot, but like, it gave me the mindset, like, Hey, I need to be doing something every day to improve. Maybe it's not the most ever, but it's a little bit every day to improve, whether that's the yeah. range of motion, whether that's better diet so that I sleep better, that I recover better from the day before and stuff like that. So, um, and then once I got into the track, you know, my coach, um, Jamie cook did a really good job of just making me feel confident that, Hey, you like, you look just as good as you did before. So, you know, that's a help as well. Yeah. One thing that you've mentioned, which is fundamental to, to all athletes is confidence. So confidence is obviously one of the, the main attributes that you, you have, but what else do you think you have, which makes you compete at the elite mind, elite mindset? Um, that's a good question. Biggest things that make elite athletes is just obviously the initial athletic ability and talent. Uh, I would say I've seen a lot of good athletes with a lot of talent too. And even at this level, you know, everybody in the Olympic final could very well be Olympic champion, right? That's just how it goes. And, and most every event. Um, and then secondly, I think just the sacrifice that it takes um, in general, to to accomplish your goals right like i see a lot of my friends and and stuff doing stuff you know throughout the year that i would love to do you know i have some buddies that went up to colorado and skiing this weekend you know and they go you know to to bermuda and and bali for the summer and just enjoy the sun <laughs> you know and doing all this stuff and pretty much the whole year around other than maybe like a month or two you know i'm kind of in training mode i'm focused on training i'm focused on you know being, being in the lead, I, you know, I moved to Maryland, you know, where it's snowing, um, in order to be with my coach, which I think will give me the best chance of being the best athlete I can be. So, you know, a lot of sacrifice goes into that as well, because, you know, I'm, you know, I miss my family. I miss my friends. You know, I got my dog with me. He's, he's sleeping over here in the corner. I have a great day, but that's about it. It's just me, me and him and just focused on, focused on the goal that, you know, I made for myself, you know, probably 10 years ago. Um, and yeah, so I think that's the biggest thing. Sacrifice, obviously, the initial talent and and confidence is is probably the most important thing because if you if you don't have confidence, you're not gonna you can't fake it. You know, you can't fake the ability to to go out there and perform. Okay, I was rewatching 
a number of your races and one of the races that stood out for me was your semi-final um, race in Rio and one of the things that stands out for me um, for you as a when it comes to yourself as a runner is your last 30 meters um, you have all the athletes you've got one of the strongest finishes um, out of everyone in you know your your event so my question to you is has that always been your strongest point or have you developed that over the years actually yeah so that has been my strongest point that's been one of my most like going back to the confidence I'm most confident that if I'm in the race with the last three hurdles left that I have a very very good chance to win um and and that's good and that's just kind of like my natural ability and something I've always been good at and then, you know, that's going to give me the op the opportunity to focus on some other stuff, focus on my start, focus yeah. on the first half of the, the the first bits of the race as well. And, uh, you know, that has kind of been the putting the two together has kind of helped me accomplish running 12-9 because, you know, in that race, I had a good start and a good finish and just kind of put a good race in the, together overall. And and yeah. This is my last question to you. So in terms of reaching the next level um you know you can do it in the mm -hmm. mind what else do you think do you need to add to your mindset that will push you to that next level hmm, that's a good question i think the biggest change for me the, the biggest change for me in the last two years has been you know in 2019 and 2020, I didn't run quite as fast as I wanted to, um, you know, just for a lot of reasons, injuries, stuff like that. And I did lose a lot of confidence in myself. And, you know, that's that's one of the hardest things to come back from, which is one of the reasons why I made the change. And I'm now back with my college coach because, mm -hmm. you know, I had a lot of success. You know, every year that I was healthy, 2014, 2016, in 2017, um, in college, I ran, I ran 13, one or faster, you know, two of those years, I won the U S U S championship, you know, and all those years I made a championship team. So going back to that, I was like, Hey, this has always worked. Let me go to something. Let's go back to that, you know, have a little bit of faith and confidence in that. I was telling my coach the other day and his son was there. We were talking about training and coaching is like, you know, his name's Jamie cook. I was like, Jamie could tell me to run 10 miles today. You know, maybe I know as an athlete that doesn't fit into my training program, but I have utmost confidence in the in the program itself, and he's never steered me wrong any other way. So I'll do it. You know, anything he's telling me, right? I'll, I could do. Um, so that's the biggest thing I think. the The change, you know, in the last year and a half, um, two years from moving back, to, you know, moving out to Maryland to, to be with Jamie is, you know, having complete confidence in the training program, having complete confidence that. I'm going to be ready when it matters. You know, I was I was really antsy this season, you know, coming up after running 12-9. I was like, hey, when's training start? When's training start? He was like, hey, relax. You know, we're going to start December 1st. You know, December 1st is going to be our first day. You know, <laughs> don't worry about it. We'll get, you, we'll get you right. And in my head, I was like, man, that's a lot of rest. It's a lot of time off. But, you know, it's so far it's been good. I'm really healthy. I feel good. Like, so maybe two months, you know, two months off was what I needed, you know? So that's the biggest thing is, is, is complete confidence in the program, the training, and then also knowing, you know, physically that my body can do it. You know, 12, eight, 12, eight is there. 12, seven is there. I just got to put it together. Right. Whether that be, you know, fixing the first part of my race, being clean, being a little bit faster, but it's, 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 it's definitely doable. You know, I just got to get the opportunity to do it. And, you know, I feel like that's going to happen okay. eventually. Yeah. So I've got two more questions. So I read that prior to the Rio games, your parents set up a GoFundMe page. Um, what were your expectations on the support um, you would receive? You know, you know, and I told, I talked about this initially, you know, I wasn't, I wouldn't say I was embarrassed, but as a, as a 21 year old college kid, you know, I didn't understand the implications on how much it cost to go to the Olympics. Right. And obviously I want my family there to, to support me. Right. So I made the Olympic team and then they only have four weeks to kind of scrounge up this money. You know, I'm looking at, 
I'm looking at because you know because we get to go for free as athletes, right? We're you know we're in the village where they play U.S. track and field pays for everything USOC. Um, but you know I didn't realize that plane tickets were twenty five hundred bucks. You know, and hotels were four hundred dollars a night, or you know, Airbnb was four hundred dollars, and that makes sense because it's the Olympic Games. I get it. Mm. But like, I didn't realize that. So like, you know, trying to put together ten grand for my family to go to the Olympic Games was a lot. So considering that initially I was like, oh, you know, whatever. And then after, you know, they got, they raised the money in probably like a week, <laughs> right? I was like, holy crap. Like there's a lot, there's a lot of people because you gotta think of it, right? Like realistically people are, you know, gonna donate, you know, 10, 50, hundred bucks, you know, at the most, right? A hundred bucks would be a lot. So, you know, I had at least a hundred, a hundred or 500 people that were interested in having my family there to support me, which meant a lot to me, you know, as an athlete, because obviously those people have been invested in my career and they're going even further other than just saying, Hey, you know, we support you. Hey, like we're going to actually support you and make sure your family gets there. So that was pretty special to me. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and you see that, you see that a lot in the Olympics and, and leading up to the Olympics, a lot of families and stuff, you know, raise money in order to go. And that is super important because my parents, you know, were pretty much the most important factor that driving me to be an elite athlete and, and help me accomplish my dreams, you know, and paying for all the stuff I did as a youth and everything that I did in high school um, and just supporting me and being at all my meets and games when I, when I played in college too. So it was super important and, and very, very like cool to see how many people like snapped, you know, and, and donated so quickly within a week. They were like, all right, it's done. You know, just go book the tickets. Yeah. Yeah. I um, my last question to you is, um, yeah, congratulations on running Sub-13. So talk to us about the feeling of joining the elite club of running Sub-13. Um, it was great. You know, that was the best feeling of the, of the, of the season for sure. Um, obviously, making my second, second Olympic team and running the final was great. And winning the Diamond League this year was amazing as well. But, yes. um, yeah. you know, as, a, as an athlete, especially as a hurdler, that's like the magic number right? Breaking that 13 second barrier. And yeah. I knew I had it, you know, I, I opened up my, my second half of the season, 13 and I was like, you know, it's been there, you know, it was there. It was probably there at the Olympics. I just didn't run it. Um, yeah. you know, so it's been there for the last six weeks and I, and I knew I could do it and to finally accomplish it on my last scheduled meet was very <laughs> like climactic, but I'm glad it happened there. Okay. Um, Devin, how can people get in contact with you? Um, usually to be honest, my social media, like Instagram DMS, I get a lot of, uh, contacts where like people are like, Hey, you know, you know, similar to you guys, Hey, you know, we want to do a podcast or whatever. Um, and then I'm like, Hey, just email me or something like that. Uh, or I, you know, I get back and forth to some people, you know, some people get lucky when I'm in a good mood and be like, you know, I respond to a kid and give him like a whole training program. They're like, Hey, what do I need to do? And I'm like, I got, I got 20 minutes. I'm not doing anything. I put together like a six week program. You know, so <laughs> hey, you never know. You know, you know. So yeah, that's the that's usually the best way. Um, you can email me, um, d allen one one zero h h at gmail. Um, that's usually the most professional way to do it. If you actually actually you know looking to like, you know, chat professionally other than just saying what's up. Um, and then my agent Paul Doyle is, is open to to stuff as well, and he you know he relays a lot of stuff to me as well. But you know, I'm pretty easy going. It's not like you know, if, if I don't want to do it, I'll either just ignore it or say, hey, I'm not interested. So, it's not yeah. big, you know, it's, it's worth the try. Okay, okay. Um, first and foremost, thank you. Thank you for accepting our invitation. We are honored actually to have you on. We look forward to you running 12A and 12.9. And I will say 12 this, 12.7. Well. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I will say this, Ed, and I'll say to both of you actually and the listeners. So growing up, I still remember the 110 meter hurdle world record being 12.91. And I thought it was humanely impossible for anyone to go below that. So now growing up and being a man and seeing people running 12.8, it's just honestly just crazy to me. I, I honestly thought it was that 110 meter hurdle world record it was just never gonna go um, below twelve nine one. I just, I just couldn't see it happening. And now, you know, we're getting athletes that are just running close to it, um, and they're not even at the peak of their power. So it's, it's, it's crazy. It's a crazy, crazy thought. Yeah, that was that was Colin Jackson, right? 
Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 I mean that that was that was a big jump even then, right? It went from like twelve, uh, like ninety ninety six to ninety one. Yeah, yeah. You know? So yeah, there's a lot of fast guys in the last twenty years. I would yeah, say. it's crazy. Uh, it's absolutely crazy but um yeah once again devon thank you so much um you have definitely demonstrated that you have an, an elite mindset um you had me smiling continuously because this is why we 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 do this podcast is really to listen to athletes like yourself and really not just help listeners but even help people like myself um so thank you thank you very much cool yeah thanks guys for having me i got one thing for the listeners Start your day off, make your bed. That's the best way to get going. Make start the day off, making your bed every day. You know, it's something simple, but it can set you off in the right, uh, you know, positive, you know, it makes you feel better. You get home and your bed's made. You get into a bed, uh, a made bed at night. It's easier to fall asleep. So it's a good one. 100% agree. 100% agree. Yeah, that's a definitely a good one. <laughs> right, guys, if you are a new listener, welcome aboard. If you are a regular listener, thank you for your support and continue to share. Until next time, guys, stay healthy, stay blessed. Peace.